Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James and I'm delighted today to be joined by Rachel DeToro, who is an American physician assistant who's going to talk to us about her experience as one of the very first PAs to come over and work in the UK. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And we're talking to you from sunny Philadelphia today. Uh, Yeah, not too bad. Um, A little snowy, but there's still some sun in the sky. I recently had a conversation with um, Professor Phil Beck, who was one of the architects, I guess, of setting up the PA program for the University of Wolverhampton, one of the first in the UK. And I was also having a chat with Kate Stroughton, the FPA president. Both of them have given me your name as someone of key importance to talk to about the history of physician associates in the UK. Do you want to take us back to the beginning of the story and explain how you came over? Sure. So I'm, I'm a Philadelphia native. And so I went to physician assistant program in the Philadelphia area. I graduated from what is now called Arcadia University. And I worked in gynecology and infertility work. That was my first role out of PA school. I did that work for several years. And that was the only role that I had before I came to the UK. So I was only out of PA school and working for about two and a half years before I ended up in the UK in London in a non-clinical role. But I had sort of put some feelers out as to whether or not there was any opportunity for a physician assistant in the UK and had been told no such thing existed. Sorry. (laughs) Latter part of 2002, though, on the same day, got an email from three different people with a link to an advertisement that had been placed in the New York Times and that they were looking to recruit three American physician assistants to trial the physician assistant profession in the UK. And I was probably one of the only PAs currently at that time in the UK. So I had an opportunity that I think most people may not have because I was already there. So I replied to the advertisement and said, I'm actually already in the UK. I would love to talk to somebody about this opportunity. So I was living in London at the time and I went up to Birmingham and I interviewed for one of the three positions for physician assistants. One of the things that was interesting to me was that the advertisement didn't come from someplace deep in the NHS or um, high up in the Department of Health. It was GPs who were looking to try something new because they were recognizing deficits in their area in terms of clinical support for their patients. So the Tipton Care Organization decided to try this new role. They went out on their own and they looked to recruit three American PAs. So I was one of three PAs that was initially recruited. The other two American PAs were living in the U.S., had replied to the advertisement, interviewed, and had been accepted. One of them ultimately decided it wasn't the right time. The second did come. She, I think she was living in Chicago at the time, and she came across maybe in January, February of 2003, maybe. But unfortunately, she wasn't very happy. She didn't stay very long and she left too. (laughs) So this is kind of how I ended up being the only American PA initially. And then as it came to be, there was another American PA who was married to um, an Englishman and she eventually found her way to us, Lynn Tyrer. And so she she and I ended up working together for the pilot 
And I guess it's probably worth kind of saying how that even came to be. The physicians at TCO had read an article that was written by an American physician assistant, Bill Fenn, a PA educator, and taken a sabbatical and had taken an interest in some of the struggles that were happening in the UK in terms of underdoctoring in certain areas and had made a suggestion. Could the American physician assistant role be effective to address the shortfalls in physician numbers? in the UK as they had been effective in the US. And he'd written this sort of position paper on it. And it was read by the GPs as part of TCO. And they said, you know what, I think this is a great idea and I think we should try it. Along the same timeline though, the Department of Health was trialing a variety of advanced clinical roles because they they recognized the same problem that there were shortfalls and that they needed to increase numbers to support patient care. And there weren't enough physicians to do that. And so what else could be done? So that was kind of happening simultaneously. And and ultimately, that was a challenge that we had to work through because the PA role was not on their radar. They were not pursuing that as a potential opportunity to address the physician's shortfalls. But over time, in working with Robert Stanfield in particular, they eventually kind of incorporated the PA pathway as one of those. So eventually the Department of Health came on board. And you know, I'm to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure what happened to all those other pathways, but that was that was kind of the the start of it all. So very grassroots, very much driven by a group of forward-thinking GPs who recognized potential shortfalls within their own area and trying to say, is there something else that we could do to make sure that our patients are taken care of? I wonder if you'll recognise primary care if you were to come back to the UK now. There are all sorts of roles. So lots of GPs, but lots of physician associates, lots of advanced nurse practitioners, paramedics that go out and do home visits, physios that do first point triage. So there's a whole number of mental health professionals and all sorts now. But yeah, as I said, then maybe it sounds like there was a place for all of those different roles that were being tried. Yeah, absolutely. There's enough work to go around. <laughs> for sure. They decided that they wanted to actually recruit a cohort. So they went back to that advertisement in the New York Times. Although I don't know if it was, I think they might've branched out from the New York Times the second time around, but um, went back to New York and recruited six or eight American PAs. And this time they were also putting them in A&E. So it wasn't just in Tipton um, as part of TCO, but other um, GP surgeries within uh, Raleigh Regis and Tipton PCT. Then other trusts decided that they wanted to try it, and it kind of eventually snowballed from there. The PCT recognized that while it was fine to recruit and hire some American physician assistants to kind of participate in these trials, long-term, there really needed to be uh, homegrown physician associates. And so the PCT approached the University of Birmingham. So there were some others that were starting to kind of crop up. University of Wolverhampton was an early program, but the PCT that I had worked with specifically went to the University of Birmingham. And so I went with them there as part of that to introduce the idea of the physician assistant. The first meeting that I had didn't go great. (laughs) Jim Parle, who has since become a very good friend, was who we met with. And he kind of laughed at me (laughs) and said that um, he couldn't see how this American role would work. And so he kind of just didn't see why somebody would choose this pathway if they really wanted to take care of patients and be in medicine, why they wouldn't ultimately choose 
a medical degree and also not wanting it to be kind of a default degree. So I wasn't good enough for medical school. So I'll take this pathway instead, because that's obviously not, as you know, that's not what the PA role is about. We're all highly qualified healthcare providers in our own right, Who, but we chose this pathway for a different reason. And so anyway, that initial meeting did not go well. <laughs> I think once he kind of wrapped his head around it, he saw the benefit of, of what it could bring. And it was a different pathway for individuals who maybe hadn't seen physician as the right fit, but still wanted to be involved in patient care. Eventually, I think he came to see that this was actually going to be something that could work really well and, and, and something new that would open up additional roles to provide patient care that were otherwise not being provided. Do you want to talk to me about what it was like working in Tipton in Nuneaton initially? And what the response was from patients and from staff. I really enjoyed my time in with my patients and with the uh, GPs. I worked at Swan Pool in Tipton. Dr. Leb Beter was my supervising physician. She's since retired, but it was incredibly welcoming. I think to some extent as an American, I was a bit of a novelty. Can I see that American girl? <laughs> and so I, I think that that worked in my benefit for the for the most part. And I, I think given the fact that it was something completely different, something that didn't exist in the UK, that the training that I had didn't necessarily align with anything that they were familiar with. The fact that they were so willing to work with me and to be open to what I could help bring to the practice was really wonderful. I was presented with a number of challenges over the time that I worked there at a variety of levels. And because I believed in what I was doing and I believed that the profession really could benefit the country in a way that was unique to the UK and could be of benefit in terms of providing care to, to the patients of the UK. So I believed in that and um, having that belief made it easier for me to do the work that I was doing. Well, that's great to hear. How did you find the conversion from the American medical system to the NHS? The patient population was very different um, from anything I had experienced in the Philadelphia area. We certainly have underserved areas in Philadelphia, but there were certainly some things that were unique to the Tipton area. The keeping of pigeons was not something I was really familiar with. To be perfectly honest, the first time that somebody called me cock uh, in, you know, or duck, I was like, I'm sorry, I, that's not a term that I'm used to being called. And so those were, you know. A, a term of endearment, I'm sure. <laughs> I had, yeah, I, it, we're, uh, yeah, I had to work through. It was an amazing um, amount of trust that uh, Dr. Ludbeater had placed in me to be able to do that. The biggest limitation that I had was in prescribing. So if I wanted to give a patient a medication, um, I would have to print the prescription and then I would have to bring the prescription to the GP and say, you know, this is the patient that I saw. This is what they're here for. This is what I found. This is what I'm prescribing. And then she would sign off on it, assuming that she didn't have any questions or concerns. So that added a little bit of time to the patient visit, but other than that, there really wasn't, it, well, and, and um, requesting labs that was another one too. So, you know, if I felt somebody needed a chest x-ray, I was not allowed to generate that on my own. That had to be done through the GP. Those are still issues for physician associates in the UK right now, but we'll hopefully get addressed in the near future as we're going to become regulated profession through the General Medical Council. Which is wonderful news. A long time coming.
And as I recall, like 2010 was the year that it was all supposed to happen. So it's been a little while. <laughs> we'll watch this space and see when it comes. How long did you spend in, in Tipton in, in primary care there? Did you notice that you were a very different clinician at the end of the, that time there? I don't know that it necessarily changed me as a clinician per se, but probably more as a person. I mean, I feel like I had the opportunity to really grow in myself. Interesting thing, I guess, as a result of my time in the UK is where I've ended up since then, which is in education. When I was in the UK, as I mentioned, I was working in primary care in the GP surgery. And eventually the primary care trust took over part of my employment. So one day a week, I worked for the PCT. Um, I was with the GP surgery the rest of the time, but with the PCT one day a week. And with that, you know, trying to work ultimately alongside the Department of Health in terms of the development of the early competencies for the physician associate. At the time, they were called, it was called a medical care practitioner um, when I was there. So pre-physician associate titles. That was an introduction to education for me. And I realized that I loved education. And so when I eventually made my way back to the U.S., what I thought instead of a full-time clinical position was a full-time academic position. Um, and I've actually been full-time academic. I've worked clinically um, part-time, but my, a full-time academic position for the last 15 years. That was, for me, a big piece of my time in the UK and a big piece that helped me become who I am in terms of the work that I do now that I don't know that I would have necessarily found in quite the same way if I hadn't been given those opportunities. After I returned to the U.S., <laughs> I actually went back again <laughs> um, for, for several months, um, which, right before the University of Birmingham opened up their program. I went back and I worked with them on the development of their curriculum. Kate, I think, applied for that cohort, Kate Stroud. So, Did you ever get anybody say, no, I don't want to see the physician assistant. I don't know what that is. I don't want to be seen by you. More in the U.S., actually, <laughs> than in the U.K. I, again, I think the novelty of being American and, and the patients of Tipton that I, that I worked with in Tipton were incredibly open and welcoming. So I really didn't get too much of that. Maybe it happened once or twice, but not a lot. That still happens in the U.S. all the time. So as much as the profession's been around here longer than it has in the U.K., that's still an issue that PAs face in the U.S. as well. And so probably more so here than there. That's interesting. It's not something I've heard of. I haven't spoken to many American counterparts, to be fair. But is there a, a problem with acceptance of the role even now in the States? I don't know that it's necessarily a problem of acceptance. Maybe just if somebody's not encountered a physician assistant and, you know, you're introduced as a PA and they, I, don't, I don't really know what that is. Can I just see the doctor? It's more just a lack of understanding. And so we still educate all the time. This is, this is the training that I have. I'm, I'm able to provide this care, but it's certainly your, your right to see the physician. So we still do that all the time here. And I think numbers help. You know, the more PAs there are, the more opportunities people have to be exposed to them. So there's a like sort of a rating system in the U.S. of the fastest growing professions. And, and actually, the physician assistant profession in the U.S. was number one this year. Fastest growing. So we're still, as a profession, we're still kind of growing in leaps and bounds. The, Actually, I don't, you'll have to tell me exactly how many PA programs there are in the UK now. I feel like it's in the 20s. 
oh no, higher than that. In the last four or five years, it's really gone huge. We're now up to 37. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. That's great. So even in the US, so I think we are at, I don't know, 260, 280 PA programs. And for us, even it's still, it continues to grow. So it's wonderful to see how much it's grown and and how much the UK trained PAs have done for themselves and for the profession They've taken it to where they need it to be. And I think that's wonderful. The future looks bright, I think. Thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me. It's been fascinating. No worries. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Precision Associate Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to follow the PA Podcast on social media, we're at PA Podcast UK on Twitter and Facebook. I'm on Twitter too, at James Catton. Thanks again, and I hope to speak to you soon for the next episode.